Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories and welcome to part two of my interview with Jimmy Riggs. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one yet, I would recommend going back and listening to that one first. telling us a little bit about your specific operation like what kind of terrain you run in what kind of cattle you run and why well uh in 19 i don't know 1909 i'm gonna say there was a fellow back in (laughs) can't even remember where that was indiana illinois over back there anyway hereford cattle were horned and somewhere in a breeding program in England where Hereford cattle developed, they made sure that all the cattle were horned. But every now and then they would have what they call in genetics a throwback, and it would be an animal that would naturally would not produce horns. And it was polled. That was the term, polled. And so if you had a Hereford that was... And because of the genetics of it, those throwbacks usually came from fairly poorly uh, genetic background of cattle. They weren't, they weren't the top cattle by any means. But the man started isolating that polled genetic characteristic. And he was able to develop herds of polled Hereford animals that basically are the same same genetic buildup as, as the horned Herefords. And these are the polled Herefords. My grandfather was very interested in the naturally polled animals because normally in a Hereford herd, you dehorn heifer calves so that your cows never have a horn. But the dehorning is—it's kind of a painful operation on the females when they are very when they're very young calves, little calves, and you literally cut that horn growing area out out of the head and uh, it heals up and they do fine then but my grandfather saw an advantage of having naturally pulled animals and he wanted to do that so he started converting his herds by then the Riggs Cattle Company was just coming along but he had a little herd of, of Herefords that he wanted to start raising pulled Herefords and he did and he started selling bulls and so that's the history behind my animals. We raised polled Herefords on this ranch. And uh, my dad in the late 50s, early 60s, 
somewhere in there the cattle industry genetically got in the primarily in the breeding stock herds got another thing called they called it dwarfism and it literally it would produce a calf that was dwarfed that usually would die in, within a few weeks of, of birth. The ones that did live were were just didn't, but that genetic carried through. Whether these guys, and so dwarfism became, in other words, it uh, an animal could be a carrier of dwarfism genetically and not be a dwarf. And interesting. And so the whole livestock, and this wasn't just Herefords, this was livestock industry. We had it. And so the breeding stock came out. So my grandfather, we uh, he did what you should do. Anything that showed anything of dwarfism was, was uh, if they had a calf, they weren't ever used for uh, breeding stock. They were used for, for uh, the meat industry. And so herds that were the higher dollar breeding stock all of a sudden became just regular uh, meat meat processors. And so my grandfather was out of, well, a few years later, my dad wanted to get back into growing the the better the better quality Herefords that would be breeding stock. And, and so that was in the early 60s. And that's kind of where we went. And he had that for a while. And then because of economic strains and one thing and two, he decided to quit doing that, and when I decided to come back down to the ranch, which was in 69, I guess, um, Dad was still raising a few of the better quality bulls for sale just to the local market here. We didn't do any of the showstring type of, of, of herds. We just bought the bloodlines, you have to keep very close track of the bloodlines and, and, and the genetics on an animal, of your animals, and we could sell them to the meat people. We had good Hereford cattle. Hereford cattle produce probably, Hereford and, and uh, Angus produce probably the best uh, meat. Uh, how do I want to say this? Like uh, The quality of their meat products is, is probably high because of the genetically way that they, in their processing of growing muscle that they they uh, include a, a it's not a fat layer but it is it's a, a marble what they call marbling in the, in the meat and the flavor of, of beef edibles is in the fats and that marbling is a very low percentage of fat and yet really improves the the uh, the flavors of that meat, and also the tenderness. So here you have that, and that's why so many of the other breeds around will breed as a crossbreed with Herefords and, and Angus is in order to to uh, tap into that, that quality of marbling. And uh, so that's what we do now. We still call stay with the Pold Hereford, the Angus, through a wonderful program. They... they uh, uh, they really were able to have a marketing program for Angus that really helped the Angus herd and, and the bloodlines, and they do do the good meat also. Um, and 
so, but the Herefords are right in there. We don't get quite the premium as Angus, but Angus are now there's nine million Angus breeders for for one <laughs> Hereford breeder. So yeah, <laughs> it's about a about a toss up anyway you want to go with it. So so anyway, and 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 the crossbreeding herds, the they where they get the the crossbreeding uh, uh, improvement. But that's what we are. We're still a polled Hereford herd. We sometimes my son is, keeps dabbling with the idea he wants to get back into the into the blood uh, the breeding stock herd like I like my dad was doing and and I, I think he'll probably do that when he decides that he's going to quit the power company and be a full time rancher. But with the drought and with us having to keep our herd way down, numbers way down. He thought he better stick with what he was doing for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then also, depending on how much I can be able to do the work and and and, and, and be part of it, uh, you know. When you, you get up my age, you, there's no such thing as retirement, but you just get to where you are dependent upon less and less by those that are really trying to run the business. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how old are you? If you don't mind I'm, me asking, uh, no, I'm 78, so okay, I'm, I'm getting on up there. So it's uh, huh. what would and, you? Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and and the heavier work is just getting beyond me right now. I I just can't I can't get it done, and so but uh, anyway, that's 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 where we are with that. Okay, your question. What would you say is the hardest part about running where you do? Well, the last 10, 15 years, well, I'm even going to go to 20 years, the the drying, it, the climate change of drought is, is definitely changing. Uh, I look at this as I, I tell people when I, I uh, we we uh, we have tours on the ranch from time to time. I'm open to that. I say that's something I can do to kind of promote the whole industry and thing. And, uh, I look at myself as as an applied ecologist. Uh, I am harvesting grass and converting it into an edible human uh, um, food product. Uh, in spite of the fact that historically, every now and then, there'll be a kind of a side group that decides they can go out and graze the grass and convert it into food and their bodies are good enough but humans just can't use our dry grasses like like and convert it but anyhow so that's where we're going with that and that's what I'm doing is is, is we are and we're and, and have been for a long time in spite of what you say everybody says oh well you got to start doing that well we've been doing that for the last hundred years uh, managing the ecological aspects as we're harvesting this grass. We have to try to make sure that we have a continuous, sustainable product, a c- crop of dry grass to harvest. And in that, we also have to make sure that part of that is is the, the whole ecological community that is in there uh, the wildlife company says, oh, well, wildlife's got to have this or that. Well, though we have to have whatever wildlife comes along, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and so it's, it's, it, we have to do that. And 
The second thing that you have to remember, and people seem to forget this, uh, they don't forget or remember it, but they 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 continue to do what they are doing with the idea that it is the way it was, and it, it, we're dynamic. Uh, planet Earth is is extremely dynamic, and it is it, it changes all over all the time, and I only have. 80, 100 years worth of even knowledge and input into it, then I'm, I, me and all the other millions of people here on Earth. and So, you know, that's, we have to accept that and constantly adjust if we want to be part of it. And and uh, so that's kind of where I am on, on, on that. That's getting to be a little bit of a deep philosophical outlook on it, but it's yeah. it, it gives me a background of what I have to do with my cattle herd. Yeah, I'm in a drought, and no, I'm never going to be back to 200 head, I don't think, in my lifetime. Now that my son, my grandson, or granddaughter, whoever comes along later, or maybe somebody I don't even know. But, yes, that's that'll, that's what will have to happen, and it will happen. And you want to be prepared to happen with it and, and take advantages of it, and, or not maybe not advantages, but be able to adjust so that you can continue to harvest what we have into an into a, a food product, uh, and so that's where we yeah. are. I like that. I like. I I feel like I want people to know that. I want people to understand that 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 ranchers are literally taking that grass. The cows are harvesting it, turning it into something that we can eat. Um, and we're not doing that um, by being harmful to the the rangelands or anything. The rancher is trying to manage that so that it can be sustainable for the future generations. So you're harvesting it, but you're doing it smart so that it can keep happening for the next generation and the next generation. And I, I feel like that's something that maybe not everybody understands or maybe people who are against grazing in general um they don't really understand the the conservation efforts that go into ranching yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that and that's something and literally i see every level of that to people that just oh well, i mean i Within the ranching community, not ranchers. I don't know about the outside community. They, I can't figure them out at all. I don't want to. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that the ones that haven't been to school, haven't done anything, but they're still observant and they are learning from what they see and how they've done it. And that's historically the way it's come up. Uh, I'm, I'm always... I, I tell some of my professors that I'm friends with still now and some of my other people that I studied with, uh, well, Walt Myers, yeah, I can tell you that one right there. <laughs> anyway, he and I discuss this from time to time, but but uh, you know, almost every rancher understands that we're going to make mistakes. And the thing is, is as soon as you see that you weren't doing it quite right, let's, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it better next time, you know, we 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 keep passing and going, but just observing what you're doing, what is happening, and how it's doing. Um, in the meat industry, in the beef industry, there are 
and I hate to separate this out because I don't want this to go into print, but there are people that are really concentrating on the animal aspect of the range land, of the range grazing and raising beef, and there are people that are really concentrating on the on the ecological of the, of the of the product of the hay of the grasses, and it's hard for us to keep trying to come back and forth. I want to get a good good herd of cattle that will will graze this very well, but I want to have a good meat product, and so we keep working back and forth between those two all the time. And I think with that, probably that working back and forth that over a period of time we're doing good. I, I really do. But we don't need to go, again, I tell some of my professor friends that uh, the universities come along and put a lot of research into some of these things and they come up with big numbers and they can produce a whole bunch of high high technical papers things that ranchers have known all along. They didn't use the same language, and they didn't have quite the same outlook, but it was, it's been there for a long time, people. It just, you know, and uh, so I, uh, not that I don't think that the, the university professor approach to it isn't a very good thing because it allows us to have some numbers to actually work with. How do we, how do we work this, and are we really getting what we're seeing? And it's it's uh, and we're not only talking about the grazing or the quality of the meat, but uh, or the quality of the the thing. But uh, we also have the markets. How do we get this stuff marketed? The beef industry is a very long chain of different ownerships and different. They all say, well, as as a beef man, you should be producing what your market wants. Well, very few people come out to buy a ranch and buy steaks. They, we have a, a cattle buyer that is going to feed these animals up to another point. And then we have a, a, a processor that's going to take them up and hold them over. You know, it's just, it's just it, it, each one of those has their own ideal of what they want to buy and what how they want to convert it on into the product that they're going to sell. And ultimately, the guy that's selling beef in in our large large grocery stores are what do I want to say they they lack an understanding of really where that meat came from where that beef animal came you know they they buy their meat in half half of a of a beef at a time and or they they want them to be the right size to fit in their box with what they call boxed beef and <laughs> Okay, you know, but down here I'm just selling pounds of live animal I, and with little waste. So it's kind yeah. of interesting. I like it. I do it. That's my that's my whole thing, and and, uh, and yet I still get to be out with my cows and, and see what's going on and talk to the neighbors and laugh and joke and carry on. So it's yeah. a good life. That was one of my next questions: was why why you do it why you choose this kind of lifestyle. Well, I told you that three semester being in a drafting room, it uh, taught me about something. That, and even when I worked for the NRCS, I got to be a, a, a district, um, what they call me, district conservationist, I guess. And <clears throat> I was already spending one and sometimes two days a week in, in the office. 
and and when we came up to the end of the fiscal year, I was spending maybe two weeks in the office, and that was just about all I could handle right there. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be out. I wanted to be with people. I wanted to see what the grass was doing, what their cows were doing, what the markets were doing. You know, it was it was well, what what the what the weather was doing, and and uh, so and how it was all working together, and how you know again I, I talk about we had a dynamic, uh, very dynamic situation, and and, and uh, it, it changes. And watching the change, I really, I really enjoyed that. So anyway, it's a, uh, it's 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 a good life, and that's why I like it. And I. I lived down here all my life. I grew up down here, so I knew what it was. But I had seen others of my friends, uh, older, younger, and uh, uh, the the uh, problem was if you married a woman and she wasn't from the country, sometimes it was extremely difficult for them to adjust out here. Uh, you feel isolated. You feel singled out. One thing and two and. So when my parents said, uh, either you are going to come back and run the ranch or we're going to sell it, which was their opportunity, and that was fine. And and so my wife and I had some long discussions about that. Is she going, is she going to be able to adjust? Is it going to work? And what can we do that we can help her adjust in one thing and that? And so that was very high thing on my thing. Yes, I want to come back and be a rancher. I, there's no doubt about that. I loved it. <laughs> but anyhow, that was, and she did adjust very well. Um, it was a, She and I have talked about it before. It was a wonderful place to raise our three children. Uh, they learned skill sets. They learned people people thing, uh, interactions, and, and, and they really did. And they learned it from not reading a book, but by application, they lived it. You know, they 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 could see it and do it, and and uh, they've gone on and and done very well. And now we have the one that is coming back, and I am very pleased because she's coming along very well. She she grew up on a ranch the other side of Wilcox, so anyway, she was familiar with what she was getting into. She came back yeah. to the ranch. She she knew <laughs> what it was, and she she. And 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 the enjoyment of the animals, you know. Um, I don't know. It's like one of my cousins was saying, you know, that the cows are our friends. We go out and talk to them all the time. And what do you do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so it's, it's it's that way. And and, and she's adjusted very well, and and our kids did very well. So um, yeah, oh. I'm I'm. Uh, I'm glad we made that decision, and I won't tell you there weren't hardships. There, there were from time to time. There were some real hardships, and one of the interesting things was during the drought when we went to 20 head. I, by then, I think all three of our kids were out of high school. Yeah, they were already on through. But uh, anyway, I, I said, well, I don't have any cows to take care of. I think I'll go find a job, and so I. Applied for a while. I worked for the University of Arizona. I was in a trial program they had down here on on uh, 
Well, it had to do with ranching, but they were trying to how to include the community people with an education that would know what was going on with the, the rural resources. So many people come down here and, you know, they they don't understand some of our, a lot of the ecological aspects that are going on. And even the non, these sort of things, you know, I, I, uh, so I was, I put together a, a program. I don't know if you've heard of, uh, hmm, can't even come up with it now, uh, the Master Gardening Program. Mm. And, and it was, it was kind of, shaped, it was kind of, determined to put a master watershed program. It was to be broken down on watershed type uh, areas and at that point. And so, and I was kind of lead, but it was, it was self, uh, what they call so money. It was grant money. And so after a year and a half, the grant money ran out and I, I was back to unemployed again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, but I, uh, I then started substituting at the high school. And I, it, it was real good for me. I enjoyed the heck out of it because when you were out here all by yourself, week after week, month after month, year after year, you know, you you kind of lose contact with what's really going on. They get back into the teenage what's going on <laughs> is a real experience. So I enjoyed it. I bet. So uh, anyway, then then we started building up, and I decided I better go back to ranching full time. Well. She she retired, and so at that time, I, she and I could feast part of the time share a ride to to and from town, which is seventy mile round trip, you know. Wow! So and, uh, you talked about um, how you guys and Jana mentioned it before when I talked to her also um, about the ranch tour that you do, and I was super curious how that works and who comes out. Um, is oh. it by invitation, or how do you guys do that, and why did okay. you start it? Well, right now, <laughs> we've done it other ways, but right now what we've been doing, and it's working for us, there is a birding, oh, I don't know what they call it, a conference, I guess, but it's a fairly successful one for bird watchers here in Wilcox in, in the town. And so, but they also like to include a few tours of other than bird watching, because some of the people, some of the bird watching tours fill up, and they want to go somewhere, you know. And they, and and they also have friends, or they have spouses that aren't quite into the deep bird watching part of it. And so they set up some of the things. And one of the things they do is they set up a, a, a other tours, and we set up the working ranch tour is what we do. And it's, we leave town about nine and try to get them back into town about three. And uh, they just come out and we just show them what we do and how we do it here on on, on the ranch business. And uh, so that's that's what that's all all about. That's the tour we do. And okay. So it's adults, like? Adults, it is adults. And it's the wing, Wings Over Wilcox, if you want to. Go to a, a website. You can see Wings Over Wilcox, and uh, that's what it is. And then we do that tour, and basically we <laughs> we bust them out. It, it, well, 
we were going real good, great guns. Then we ran into some difficulties, and then COVID hit us, and we just shut down on that. But anyhow, but now we're building back up and getting going again. And well, this year we actually did bust them out, and uh, I usually ride with the bus, and from the time we leave town, some of the guys says, "Oh, well, you'll you know you're being you won't start your tour till you get out there." No, I minute we leave Wilcox, the community center there in Wilcox, we're on tour. We we go out and we look at the we just drive by the auction yard. You can see all the pins with all the cattle in them as you're driving along, and we tell them, you know, that's our current marketing situation. And then we drive down and we show them where the old livestock corral system used to be along the railroad, and then we go down through the one what they call Railroad Avenue there in Wilcox and show them what the old downtown was and that this block on here had about five or six taverns on it. And that's what the cowboys, as soon as they got paid off, the, the whole sudden the cattle shipped and the cowboys were laid off and given a big <laughs> hunk of money and they had cash. And guess what? <laughs> so anyway, and then we come out and I show them the different, as Wilcox sits in the bottom of the, the basin range of a big valley with big mountains on each side. And, uh, I can show them the different types of grasses and some of the things that happen. Uh, we come by uh, an area out there, they call it the lap circle, but yet the larger cattle companies just bring their calves to ship in there, but they had to wait their turn at, at, the, uh, at the, the, the corrals there on the railroad because uh, somewhere you'll see from time to time, if you look up Wilcox, you'll see cattle capital of the world and that comes from the shipping point for the railroad. And there were some years in there, they were shipping over 40,000 head of cattle through Wilcox, which wow. is, yeah, that's a lot of cattle. And and uh, anyhow, that was kind of the the situation there. And, and so I showed them where the old cattle takes. Now, they're all gone. They were rotten down anyway. The railroad quit wanting to be freight, freight for cattle, and, and they're not with the, Advent of the good diesel trucks and the better highways, we can load a truck up with a load of cattle and we can deliver it in most of the United States right there, load cattle in almost anywhere in 24 hours. Um, with the new trucking limits, we have to put that on, but we managed to get some exclusions into those trucking time limits for the drivers. Uh, <coughs> in order to say, hey, we've got a live crop here, you know, we we yeah. can't we can't stop while you go in and go in the motel and sleep for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The cattle are standing up and they've got to keep going. And and uh so uh, I don't know what the limits are right now for it, but anyway that's kinda of how we work that and so uh, That's cool. I think it's neat that you do that because I I feel like most most ranchers, most cowmen are just quiet and want to keep to themselves and I and I get that. I totally understand that. Um but I also see the other side of of the need of education for other people to yeah. know yeah. what it's like and for them to know where their food comes from. So Well, that's the other thing is I think it is yeah, it's a kind of service to the Wings Over Wilcox program. But I look at it as being a service to the beef industry. 
all of a sudden yeah. we get people that had no idea what went on on a ranch and how, where their beef came from and how their beef were produced. You know, uh, literally, you know, the, the people that, well, the uh, supermarket has the, the stakes. <laughs> you know, they don't understand that. And, and uh, so, yeah, it, it it is a service. And I think it's a very worthwhile service. And, uh, again, I'm getting getting on up. But my son now is, he did almost all of the, all of the presentations, and, and uh, we just go through how we handle the animals, how we handle the pasture, grazing on that, and, and uh, uh, what what goes on, what we expect out of it, and, and so, yeah, I'm 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 pleased with the the availability through the Wings Over Wilcox to have that. So I didn't haven't I haven't read the remarks back on this year's tour, but. Over the years, we always do a evaluation on all the tours of Wings Over Wilcox. I, I'm also very supportive of the bird watching people. They they do a very good job, and here in Wilcox, they are doing a good job. But this is a, a good good thing that we're bringing in lots. I can't believe the number of people that we are bringing in from way out of town. And I tell some of my friends, I say, hey, that's a good thing. All those dollars are coming outside of Wilcox and going to be left right here in Wilcox. Guess what? I think this year we had a sign-up of somewhere over 250 people signed up for the, the three-day weekend so wow. registration. So for us, that's that's a big number. Um, yeah. You know, and, and is it something that's offered for free or do you charge? Um, the wings over Wilcox actually charges us on that. We don't. The ranch would We don't. Again, I figured it's a service. It's a. They're they're offered me. I you know I'd have to pay for a big sign out on the highway, and here I am getting all this <laughs> free time with an audience. <laughs> how wrong, yeah. how can I go wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's. Uh, but no, that but the the. Participants are are charged for that. It does go into the wings over with. There is a bus deal. We do uh, we do have pr- provide a lunch for them. Um, since the uh, COVID thing, we're just getting box lunches, and we're now that we're starting to build up a little better. I we'll start looking there for a while. The uh, Arizona cowbells or the local cowbells, Wilcox cowbells, uh, would come out and would. Would prepare us a wonderful meal. Uh, they got paid because they got a piece of the piece of the pie out of the registration for the wings over, for the ranch tour, and so they were happy to come out and put on a lunch for us, and, and uh, that was a good thing. And sometimes we'd have <clears throat> a couple times we had people that did uh, Dutch oven work, and they came and did a lunch for us. So you know, it was it was it it, it again it. it Attracts people. It's a good tour, and it still gives a message of what happens and where does your beef come from. Yeah. And so. That's awesome. So well, that's I don't want to. Sorry. Go. I was just going to say I didn't want to take up too much time of your afternoon. I really appreciate everything you've shared so far. Well, <laughs> I I don't know. I, you know, again, I'm not just sure where you want to go with this, but 
I'll have to talk to Walt Meyer about this and see what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give him a call. <laughs> well, I think I will. <laughs> that was perfect. You shared a lot of really good information. I feel like I learned a lot. Well, so thank you. That concludes my interview with Jimmy Riggs. If you like what you are listening to, please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, just like always, to put a face behind the name, head over to our Instagram page. It's at cowboystories underscore podcast. And if you know somebody who would be a good fit for the show, send me an email nomination to cowboystoriespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. That concludes my interview with Jimmy Riggs. If you like what you are listening to, please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, just like always, to put a face behind the name, head over to our Instagram page. It's at cowboystories underscore podcast. And if you know somebody who would be a good fit for the show, send me an email nomination to cowboystoriespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thank you.